Today's episode of Rebuilders is called Story Wars, Understanding and Interpreting Culture in a Confusing World. I think there is not been a more important time than this to understand the role of stories. We live in a world of competing stories, but we also live in a world of the one true story, the biblical story, which shows us how God has moved into history, how He's moving now, and how He will end history according to His purposes. So today we're going to look at a framework of how we can exist in this time, understanding the idols, understanding the temptations, but also understanding how to be a faithful followers of Jesus in this time. We mention a lot of resources in the episode. If you want a whole list of them and a bit of a chat behind the scenes, you can register and subscribe for our mailing list by going to rebuilders.co. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and I'm here with Mark Sayers. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. Daniel is doing well. Oh, hold on. Do we have confirmation of that? <laughs> I, I affirm. Great. Well, just for the listeners, I, I'd like to bring up two things just as we start. Okay. The first one is that there's a little bit of dissent in the team. Not dissent, but no, not differing dissent. differing exp- experiences. So, as people know, so, okay, let me go back to the start. Yesterday we recorded this episode. We did. And we had literally staggeringly good pastries from Via Porta. It mm. was like we were crying. And, uh, but then unfortunately the technical gremlins hit us and the episode was lost forever. Um, so we're re-recording, forever. re-recording now. We recording a little bit later in the day than we normally do. And we, re- we actually ordered some other nice treats. Uh, Daniel and I ordered, um, a couple of like, I won't say, I want I don't want to say where this was from. No, that's um, fine. And they're normally fantastic. Yeah. But, um, we, um. Daniel and I had some fantastic sweet treats that were like so good. What, what were they again? They were, well, oh, we're not going to say. I'm, 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 I'm hiding things here. Yeah, okay. It was, it was like, like a cookie sandwich situation. Cookie sandwich situation, yeah, yeah. which was just like exactly what I wanted as mm. I'm starting a podcast in the afternoon. Um, Liddy, you had a different experience. I did have a different experience. Look, many cafes, in fact, I would nearly say most cafes that have baked goods have some form of the gingerbread man. Yes. And and I would just like to point out, first of all, that this isn't just for children. I actually really enjoy no, the gingerbread great. It's like man. strawberry milkshakes. Yeah, no, I think you might be on your own on that one. No, no way. Strawberry milkshake. From a cafe. <gasps> yeah. It, that's, okay. That's, it. Is this with a high chair as well? Like a chair? <laughs> I will confidently order a strawberry milkshake and as a man, as a married man with children and enjoy it. <laughs> Do you order for like your kids and then drink them all yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm feeling less bad about myself ordering a um, gingerbread. But it's not, it's not the issue that you ordered a gingerbread. No, man. it's not at all. It was a really disappointing gingerbread man. And I just didn't know that it could be so bad. Well, we have some evidence here. And, and you said to me, oh, it's quite soft. I'm like, I don't mind a soft gingerbread man. Then you handed it to me and it was more like, it was not that it was soft, it was more cardboard. Yeah. So it's like if you put it in the fridge for a while. No, just I, I just don't think it's even in the realm of normal gingerbread. I well, think we, this exists in a, in a galaxy far, realm. far away. Well, we did have to delay recording for maybe 15 minutes because you were literally raging. <laughs> <laughs> literally you were raging. You quite upset. You are quite upset. Yeah, and point you threw part of it across <laughs> the floor. 
I don't know if you I guys put it have, back in the bag so we didn't have crumbs everywhere. I don't know if but you guys are familiar, on the floor. familiar with the um, output of Charles Bronson and his film career. He made a number of movies, the Death Wish series. And basically in the Death Wish series, there's something terrible happens to Charles Bronson or someone near him, uh, you know, that the, the baddies get one of his dear and loved ones and he just goes on an absolute rampage. Is this like John Wick? I only know Charles Bronson. Okay. I don't. I don't okay. know what You're this John Wick is. Yeah. More, more modern. Yeah, he's ripping off Charles Bronson. Well, now I'm just thinking of that. What's the Michael Douglas movie? With? Oh, Falling Down. Yeah, that one. Yeah, it's it's like you've been pushed too far. Like that's right. Falling Down. He's he's in the traffic and he just walks yeah. off. So I can just foresee you absolutely losing it, going on an absolute rampage with a poor quality gingerbread. Man. I reckon I can hold it together. Okay. I really do. I, I just would like to add one other piece of ent- – I know, I know we, we will get into today's topic, <laughs> but I did want to just just mark that here in Victoria, uh, for many of you who have been listening, you've been on a whole journey. Um, we've been on our journey here in Melbourne. Well, um, not a very big journey. A journey of going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as of midnight tonight, our lockdown ends. Yeah. <laughs> and we've hit 70% double jabbed. We're racing towards 80, going to hit 90. This, this talk of Australia hit 94%. Canberra's 98% double jabbed. So it's quite, it's quite so Australian, isn't it? Like carrying on like a pack of pork chops and then finally end up, you know, getting this super high vaccination rate. Um, but I, I was thinking, because it's actually a bit of a journey we've been on as, a, as rebuilders, mm. haven't we? I mean, you think the yeah. first one we did in, in another room here, it was like just hitting and we did that five things to do or something when so it's been very much basic so for people at home we've been in in lockdown and a lot of time we've seen we haven't seen many other people but we've seen the rebuilders crew here so i just want to mark that it's a it's a big moment for us yeah i still think back to this time last year we were recording in another building and we're literally like (laughs) sitting 20 meters oh yeah that was the extreme yeah yeah we had to do it in different rooms at that point yeah yeah ah different times it's been good to Good to travel with you guys. Yes, it has. Welcome to the end of this lockdown. Yeah, let's all break off a bit of gingerbread uh, <laughs> and <laughs> celebration. And throw it in the bin. Yes. Uh, I can't wait for the day that I have a good gingerbread. It's next coming. Week, next week. Yeah. Once lockdown's lifted, the gingerbread will taste <laughs> incredible. <laughs> if you'd had that at midnight tonight, one minute after midnight, it just would have. It would have been a different man. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow's man. Anyway, um, that's just a reference to David, maybe. And today, just to get us back on track, we obviously here on Rebuilders have talked a lot about culture and um, you certainly, Mark, for many, many years have talked about different ways to navigate culture um, and have, I guess, analysed what's happening in culture. And we just want to take this opportunity to step back a little bit um, and set out a bit of a a path for you as our listeners on how to read and navigate culture at this point in time. Uh, Why, Mark, are we seeing this as an important Mm. thing to do? Well, I I think it's a little bit of, um, I'd hesitate to say it in this way, but like a code read, I think in where things are in the church's relationship to culture. Okay. Um, I feel like many of the things that um, I've been speaking about for some time about the way that the political religions are um, misshapening the church, 
Um, I think one thing I've spoken about a long for a long time is um, for those of you who are worried about the rise of things on the left, the danger is that you're going to go further into the right. For those of you who are worried about the rise on the right, you're going to go further into the left. And this polarization that um, we've seen across the world, particularly in America, I think in, mm-hmm. the, in the last little while, but I think increasingly seeing it, you know, uh, coming into our country even in the last few months and particularly, um, you know, through the pandemic, um, but it's about something bigger happening in the world. Mm. And really um, in many ways, um, you know, I think stuff we've talked about for the American century, um, the way that we're passing for the American century and that there's these systemic issues that are now going out into the world and the world is this very contentious place at this moment. And mm. I think a lot of churches are finding themselves sideswiped by this. Um, and even you're seeing stuff that was I was hearing from people in the US when um, uh, the pandemic hit and the polarization and all kinds of different things and even things around um, stuff happening in the political sphere and so on. You're seeing that starting to happen outside of the US now in other countries, hearing mm. stories from the UK, hearing stories here of where churches are starting to get influenced by that. And um, in many ways, I think as America goes through a period of huge polarization, it exists in a in a global culture and still has that power to project its its stories. And so the world we find ourselves in is a world of competing stories and stories are crashing into each other. And so I feel like this idea of how do we understand stories? How do we understand all these different political things going on? How do we not get dragged into them? Um, I think is, is, is really, really important at this point in time. There's tremendous pressure on institutions, tremendous pressure on leaders. Um, and I, I think this is going to continue and perhaps intensify for a, a period. Um, you know, even in Australia, you look at some of the states which you know have had fantastic results with the, the pandemic and have been sort of shut off and had nothing. Mm. Even in the last few days, we're seeing now that they're realising that they're going to open up again and so on. Um, even seeing some of the, the issues coming to the surface in those places. So this is this is going everywhere. And you know, how do we think through this this well? Um, and we're heading lots of people writing to us, asking us to comment on different things like Christian nationalism. And I think there was a lot of people who were really concerned about the left a few years ago. And now there's a lot of people really concerned about the, what's happening with the rise of the right in reaction to that. Mm. And um, so I just think it's a great time to, in a sense, go back to some of the basics of how do we talk about culture? How do we understand culture at this time? Yeah, great. And uh, going into this episode – we, uh, I guess you were looking back at some of the writing that you'd done yeah. in 2016 mm. or um, Disappearing Church, which was released at the beginning of 2016. And you uh, created a bit of a model or adapted a bit of a model yeah. of understanding and looking at mm. the world and culture. Mm. Um, do you want to talk us through that? Yeah. So <clears throat> to give some of the, I think, the backstory to that, um, you know, my – I guess my history and ministry was really interested in mission mm. and, you know, sort of part of the missional church thing here in Melbourne. And in many ways, what that did was learn from missiology. Some of the study I did was in intercultural studies mm-hmm. um, at seminary. And that whole science comes from this experience where the church was engaged in taking the gospel to often cultures outside of the West and and then understanding there was a dynamic that was going on there. Yeah. So to explain this in Dispering Church, I talked about this model of sort of the first, second and third worlds. Now, it's not like the classic understanding of the first and second and third worlds and pa- pa- people may think about in terms of, oh, I've been to the third world. Yes. I don't yeah. mean that. But uh, I sort of took a sort of 
kernel of an idea from um, the social critic, uh, Philip Reef, um, who wrote about this in his My Life Amongst the Death Works, um, Sacred and Social Order. And he talked about there was this sort of first world. He almost called that the sort of pre, you know, it's almost the pagan world, mm-hmm. um, the pre-Judeo-Christian world. Now, Reef wasn't a Christian. He was a, he was Jewish um, uh, by background, uh, believed the importance of religion, wasn't necessarily super religious himself. Um, and he said you had this original world. This original sort of first world was the pagan world where people um, didn't expect to be able to change the world. They lived in fear of, of the world, of the spiritual forces. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a place of sort of felt random. This is the sort of place that if you were going on a, on a, on a journey and you were crossing a river, um, you would pray to the river gods. You know? yeah, okay. And so it wasn't just about how do I sort of conquer the territory. It's also all the spiritual dynamics around that. Then he talks about the sort of second world. The second world in many ways is the sort of world that emerges in the West that is sort of the Judeo-Christian values and ethics. Um, at its center is really a scripture um, or a sort of you know, scriptural um, uh, uh, you know, book, the Bible, the Torah. Mm-hmm. And um, so using that model, if you look at missions, what missions is, is people then from the second world communicating the gospel to, back to that first world. Now in doing that, there's also something else going on. yeah. And really what the, the science of missiology is, that when you're communicating the gospel, yes, you're communicating the gospel, you're communicating the Christian story as the one true story. But what happens in that is there might be elements where there's other stories like barnacles to a hull of a ship that have attached themselves. So, for example, a, a good illustration of this that I often give is that our old office um, uh, used to be um, not far from here, uh, a few kilometres that way. And uh, across the way, there was a church that was built, I don't know, about 100 years ago or something, and it was a Presbyterian church, Church mm-hmm. of Scotland, and it was built in Melbourne with a snow catcher on the roof, <laughs> which is an architectural device to stop huge snowfalls from then the roof falling in. Now, for those of you who don't know, Melbourne, it may have had a sprinkling of snow once every half century. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can go up into the Dandenong yes. ranges and there'll be snow on cold days in winter. Yes. But- so there is a skiing. smattering at best. Yes, so there is skiing in Australia, which surprises some people. But yeah. it's in the it's in the mountains, but not in you know it's rare in Melbourne. Mm. Now the reason that they added that to this Christian endeavour in Australia, which is totally inappropriate, is a cultural reason. It's part of their cultural baggage. Now, could a church be planted in Australia without a snowcatcher? Absolutely, but it's an example of how the Western story or the story of the person communicating the gospel uh, can often be added to the one true story, which is the the biblical story. And so the sort of science of missiology, uh, a lot of people who became missionaries had this experience of going to the two thirds world. They were often sometimes engaged in uh, projects of colonialism, but then there was also this thing other times where missionaries actually became critics of colonialism when they realized that, hang on, there's stuff here where by going to another culture, we're seeing we're leaving our own culture and seeing some of the idols of our culture. So there's mm. this really interesting dynamic going on. And in many ways, that's what I was really interested in. And I, I became fascinated by um, what others did. And, and you could say it sort of starts with people like Donald McGavran, who were missionaries who came back. Some of it started the contemporary church growth movement. Others, people like Leslie Newbegin and so on, started sort of the gospel in, in culture movement, where what they did is they said, just as we've gone to – uh, uh, a first world culture here mm-hmm. in terms of a pre-Christian culture, bringing the gospel there. That's shown to us how some of our story that we thought was part of the Christian story is not. It's part of our cultural story. What if we did the same thing in Western culture? Yeah. So a classic example is Leslie Newbegin, who um, you know goes to India uh, as uh, becomes a bishop in the Church of South India, 
comes back to the United Kingdom in the, I think it was the 1970s, moves back to Birmingham and finds this rapidly secularizing post-war Britain and then begins to apply the same techniques he applied in the mission field in India, talking to people, all these different stories, Hindus, different areas, different castes, Muslims, Sikhs. Um, he then brings that framework back to the United Kingdom and it enables him to see that there actually is this division between the Western story and the Christian story. There is some overlap, mm-hmm. but there's also things in the Christ- in the Western story that don't necessarily uh, correlate to the, to the Christian story. So I was really interested in that. And so I said that what happened then was that sort of movement began and we began to sort of communicate the gospel from the second world with the sort of framework of missiology to the third world, which was this emerging secular world. Okay. And I made the point that what I noticed happened, and this was from you know experience and observation, was a lot of people who did that ended up sort of being co-opted by the third culture, yeah, okay. uh, the third world. And um, that what they didn't realize is the second world, the science of missiology began because we realized that in communicating the gospel from the second world to the first world, we can't colonize the first world. We have to say, what's the part of our culture that we need to put aside? And how do we create indigenous movements of, of faith amongst people who are in that first world? Yeah. But what was happening as we communicate from the second world to the third world was that the sort of post-Christian secular world was actually colonizing us. Mm. Um, so that's essentially the model. That's been helpful for people. And again, to just putting in the time, I, again, I, I was thinking about this as we were preparing. Right there, 2015. 2015, there's this great concern in the culture of rise of political correctness, Mm-hmm. There's a new sort of liberalism. It's not just like the old school liberalism of sort of like tolerance where, hey, if you want to have your faith community over there, there's this sense where there's this new moral order in the world. And then there's a backlash. As a backlash, you know, you're seeing things like Brexit, election of Donald Trump, Joe Bolsonaro in Brazil. Um, you see, you know, the rise of places like Viktor Orban in Hungary and, and uh, you know, different places where there's this reaction to that. And so at that time, I think that captured a lot of people's attention because they felt, oh, wow. We are now increasingly marginal in our second world. Western culture is not based on the second world. There's now this third world, which is rising. And it's almost like this giant progressive force. So how do we make sure we're not co-opted by it? I think that was really accurate at the time. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of accuracy, but I think it's changing. So what exactly is changing? Is the third world changing? Okay, great question. So <clears throat> there's yes and. <laughs> I'll start with the yes. Yes and. Um, okay, so I think the initial sense was, and the fear with a lot of people probably from 2016 onwards, was that there was this new giant block that the mass of Western culture was going to be this very monolithic, very progressive very anti-Christian, very post-Christian mass mm-hmm. that was going to have one moral order and it was going to be this huge mass and the church was going to find itself tiny compared to this giant elephant of a new entity in the West. Okay, But I think what we're seeing is that's not happening because the third culture, 
in the ways that Philip Reeve talks about it, it's, it's in many ways sort of an anti-culture. It doesn't have a defining story. Um, and if you don't have a defining story where it's a communism had a big defining story, yeah. um, Islam as a cultural force has a big defining story, the Christian West had a defining story, or even the sort of post-war liberalism had this defining story in, in many ways, that this doesn't have a defining story. It knows what it's against sometimes, but it doesn't always know what's what it's for. And so I think what we're seeing now on this sort of you know side of the pandemic, uh, but it was already happening before, is an increased fragmentation. Now, a lot of people talk about um, the political you know polarization and and people we got lots of emails about us wanting to talk about that. But I think what people are missing is that. Yes, there has been a polarization, but polarization ultimately leads to fragmentation. Mm -hmm. There is multiple lefts at the moment. And we've actually moved from this thing of left versus right to increasingly battles within mm. the wings. So, for example, let's look at the right. You know, you've got multiple rights really battling at the moment. One of the big stories, and maybe we should do a whole podcast on this, is actually the way that slowly libertarianism, which is the pursuit of freedom, mm -hmm. um, this sort of you know, vision put forward by... Um, you know, people like Ayn Rand, um, that you sort of the individuals could leave, must leave behind culture, leave behind regulation, go and create their own sort of special world. You see this vision in, um, you know, what people like Elon Musk and Peter Thiel and a lot of the sort of Silicon Valley people are doing. It's interesting, a lot of the pushback to the coronavirus pandemic is actually because coming from, you know, libertarians, maybe we'll do a whole podcast on that. Now, that's also battling on the right against social conservatism because all these people may go, we're against the left, but actually social older social conservatives who are interested in things like morality and um, you know the family and keeping those community bonds and small town values and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Actually, that's quite against libertarianism because libertarianism is much more individualistic. Uh, then you've sort of got this resurgent nationalism. Again, maybe we'll do a whole one on this. Uh, you've even sort of got some dipping back into far right thought on on the right. There's and then you've sort of got your classic free market economists, neoliberals on the right. There's multiple frag fragments. We could do the same on the left. Mm. Um, and so what we're actually seeing is a world which is moving. Polarization is simply a stop on the journey to fragmentation. So if you can imagine the third world, imagine in your mind you've got those three blocks: first world, second world, third world. The third world is now splitting apart. Now, part of the reason that it's splitting apart is our plausibility structures. Newbegin spoke of one of the things that is, is Marx secularism is this division between values and facts. So secularism is this idea that, yes, you can have religion and you can have a faith, but you need to keep it in the private sphere. That really it's, it doesn't come into the world of facts, which are agreed upon things that the culture agrees are true, Mm -hmm. and right that we can then organize around and classically how it was working with science was that yeah yeah and so i remember you know years and years ago like it'd be like well here's the science the science people and then there's the religious people and so what you begin says is like the religious people like well you believe that but that's your values but it's not a fact so what this meant is that when someone would say would explain the gospel someone would go okay that, well that's that's nice but that's your values now what's really interesting if you look now and i think coronavirus has made this in abundantly clear is that's breaking down, mm. particularly in the US. I think less so in some other European countries. I think less so here, but there's some of it starting to come here where when you get to a point where even say you, it would seem like coronavirus is more a fact-based thing, vaccinations and empirical proving of these things, 
that even people then will go, that's your values. You know, so you hear this with vaccinations where people go, look, well, let's just choose. You know, two people get vaccinated, I'll get vaccinated, you don't, we're making a choice. But in the scientific community, you go like, hang on, that doesn't make sense. Like, because mm, mm-hmm. they're actually vaccinated. If someone doesn't get unvaccinated, they have potential to spread it more than someone's vaccinated and so on and so on. But again, what you see is the way that almost that breakdown of coherence where you've got people and you've got it coming from the right and the left. You've got right attack on coronavirus. You've got, you know, left attacking things like saying, you know, science is in a bias in particular ways mm-hmm. towards ways of thinking. So you've got this breakdown in the plausibility structures. So the third world can't be this giant. I know there's people saying, oh, the, the danger is we're going to have this totalitarian left and it's going to use almost Chinese state surveillance type technology and, and it's going to be 1984. I don't see that because I just think that, that this, this third world is struggling to hold any coherence. China is going to have such a difficult task <laughs> to hold its very multicultural, multi-regional, yeah. multi-different thing together. Like it's really, really difficult. And so in many ways, just to add one more Newbegin thought mm-hmm. is Newbegin had this idea. I, my, read, my term for his idea, which he outlined in a book called Honest Religion for Secular Man, 1966, 68, I think he wrote that book is he talked about secularism is let loose in the world and it doesn't just come against the church. It comes against, once secularism began in the world, it comes against anything that has a belief structure. So there's mm-hmm. this tremendous pressure on everything. And he sort of argued that once you let that loose, weirdly, it would end up sort of working for the gospel because everything, all the idols would be torn down. And so what we're seeing is the humiliation of everything at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think that that sort of third world is not staying together at this point and we're going to see it continue to break down the cultural tumults the cultural conflict polarization all these things that people talk about you know what they see is happening at that christian magazine or at that church or in that movement that's really indicative of a bigger thing happening in the culture it's the third pressure of that third world sort of falling apart okay well if that if they're the changes to the third world are there changes happening to the second world Okay, so what's really interesting is initially in the 90s, the church talked about, they were frustrated Mm. um, when there was this break between values and facts. There's books written about it, warning people about the rise of postmodernism, relativism, and so on. But what coronavirus has shown is how many churches now speak in that language themselves. And even how some of the languages unwittingly of these different forces have come in. So there's people who are concerned that the church is taking its cues around, you know, things like sexuality or whatever from the left side of, you know, uh, of things. They're concerned. Uh, but then we also see on the other side that the language of libertarianism has fully invaded parts of the church and people mm-hmm. calling for freedom and all this sort of stuff. So there's this idea that in many ways, those plausibility structures, even in the church, have broken down in many places between values and facts. And what you have is you've got this really weird moment where I felt that what was going to happen was that in some ways in the communities that were trying to push into discipleship, cultural Christianity would sort of burn away. And I felt like coronavirus was accelerating that. But I did say to people a number of times, I was like, I wonder if one thing that we're not expecting is that cultural Christianity will come back with a force, but in a sense it will be disconnected or disconnecting from the church. And I think we're seeing that now. And again, too, I think maybe we do a a bigger one on Christian nationalism. But what you're seeing is if there's a split between values and facts, there's a lot of language at the moment, particularly on the Christian right, we need to bring back Christian values. We need to bring back Judeo-Christian values. Where are the Christian values in our nation? 
Like, but the great danger with this is that that's disconnected from facts of the gospel and actually from uh, full-on devoted discipleship and following Christ. Let me give you one example. I saw an article recently, and I'm trying to remember where I saw it. I can't remember where I saw it. But effectively what it was saying was all these people who some of whom were in this sort of new atheist camp that everyone was worrying about sort of 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, people like Stephen Fry and even Richard Dawkins and some of these people saying, look, I'm not a Christian, but I can see the need for cultural Christianity. I think Dawkins has gone from, you know, sort of saying now, look, there's a benign Christianity is better than sort of this thing that's coming on the left. Stephen Fry sort of saying, oh, you know, look, I don't believe in God, but, you know, I can see the value of hymns and all this sort of fabric of, you know, in British culture. Um, you're seeing people like um, Jordan Peterson, who's like, mm-hmm. does he actually believe in God? But he's sort of talking about this sort of Jungian, you know, vision of faith. And this article was almost going, oh, that's good. And I read it and I thought, the article was saying it was good, and I can understand their argument. They're saying it's good because it means that, oh, the, the culture is realizing that there's an emptiness without God. Yes, but I'm worried about part B. Part B then is that you get these people who are like, yes, well, we need to hold on to Christian values. But Christian values cut off from a living intimacy with Jesus Hmm. will go utterly toxic. Similar thing we're seeing in Central and Eastern Europe in places like Hungary and and Poland where there's this re-embrace of cultural Christianity. They're they're positing themselves against Western Europe and what they call is the woke EU. Um, And the danger is, yes, there's this sort of trying to attempt at a civic level to bring these Christian values, but people aren't necessarily going back to church. And Mm. so I think that you've got this zombie category of cultural Christianity, which could become big again as people become lost. And I think that's some of what you're seeing in the US where it's almost like this political movement's been attached to that, but it's hugely dangerous and hugely seductive when it's disconnected from the fact of the gospel. Um, and so Christianity without disciple, or Christian values without genuine discipleship will go wrong. All right. So taking us back to where we started with this mm. framework of first, second and third world mm. that you mentioned in Disappearing Church, we understand now that there's probably been some, um, some shifts and changes in the third and the second world mm. since 2015, 16. Mm. What do we then do with that? Mm. I think a really foundational idea to start with from Leslie Newbegin, um, and I have this sense we're heading into the Newbegin moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> the new begin again. The new begin again moment. Um, <laughs> one of the things he said was that one way to understand Christianity is mm-hmm. that the biblical story is the one true story. Yeah. And it's true in that it helps us understand the hi- history of what has happened it helps us understand our part. It helps us understand what's happening now and it helps us understand how history will end. And so therefore what that means is that all other stories, we well, so in our lives, we're going to encounter other stories. Mm-hmm. The world is filled with stories. We're in the midst of story wars. And so any other encounter we have with someone else or another story, that story comes under the judgment of the one true Christian story. Yeah. But then in that encounter with others, Stories that we may have bought into also that aren't the one true story also come under that judgment. Okay. And that's what I love about New Begin. There's this thing where it, you know, it's not this triumphal and it's like, yeah, we're going to show the other side. We're going to show those left wingers mm. who's wrong. We're going to go into that country and tell them what's wrong. 
yes, you, we are sent to go to the ends of the earth. We are sent to communicate the good news of Jesus. But in doing that, we then, I think this moves into the second, my second point, mm. all the stories that are not the one true story are failing. The powers and principalities are being humiliated upon the cross. And what that does is there's ways that we're brought into it. All of us in a sense, what I, what I love about New Begin is we've moved into this relativist moment where values and facts have been separated. Now, New Begin heads to this point where it's 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 almost sounds a little bit like that because he's saying that you're coming from your own bias, but his bias is not like, well, there's no truth. No, he believes in the one true story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one true story then actually shines light on our potential biases as well. Yeah. Which I find really helpful. And and so it's a way of almost understanding that nuance, but then not falling into postmodern relativism and still holding that it is the one true story. Mm -hmm. So what that means is I think of that passage when the church is birthed at Pentecost and Peter preaches to the crowd of religious pilgrims who are mm. wondering who are these people falling drunk in the, in the morning. He preaches the gospel, tells that great one true story. Yeah. And then it says that the crowd were cut to their hearts and said, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and believe and be baptized. And that's where repentance. All of us have fallen for stories that are not the one true story. There is elements of some of the story on the right, which aligns with the gospel, there's bits that don't. There's parts of the left which align with the gospel, bits that don't. Everyone before pointing the finger at the other side, and there is critiques to be made. There is critiques mm. and all the stories must be held before the one true story. But that must be done with a work where we are also in repentance saying continually before God, where have I gotten it wrong? Where have I born to a story? Um, it's that experience you often have overseas where as an Australian and whoever's listening, whatever culture you're from, you'll be doing something you're like, oh, hang on, they don't have that here. And something you have always yeah. assumed is absolutely normal. And you begin quoted the classic Chinese saying, don't ask, for a fish for a, uh, don't ask a fish for a definition of water. And so all the stories are failing. There's this way that I think what's happening is that there's a systemic problem in the world. And we've been talking about all different versions of this. We talked about even supply chains last week. Yeah, yeah. The world without God will fail. It'll have moments of seeming success, but it's continually moving towards a death without the resurrection power of Jesus in the world. The only thing that is growing and expanding and living is the kingdom of God in the world. Mm -hmm. All else will pass. And so basically what that means, therefore, is that we need to be in this process of repentance. We need to not look at the other side. It's so easy at this point in time to point the finger at others. Yeah. And so that's what they're doing wrong. And are they doing wrong stuff? Probably. You know, like, again, it all comes under the judgment of um, the one true story of, of the Bible. But we also need to look at us. And I just feel like one thing that would de-escalate the culture wars we're in if we actually took a heart of repentance mm. <laughs> about how we've got things wrong. And I would say that what you see in this, what, what is also the third part is something I have spoke about. I just also spoke about in, in Disappearing Church. It's this practice of withdrawal return. Mm -hmm. That you begin withdrew from his own culture, Britain. He left it really at the high, you know, it's, it's just as the empire was at its sort of peak or just about to pass, mm. goes to India, comes back. The British, you know, Britain is not the head of the empire. It's the Commonwealth and it's diminishing power. America's taken the role. But that process of withdrawing and then returning enables him to see things that he couldn't see before. And there's a pattern that we all see throughout our, our, 
I think history, we see it throughout the biblical story. And I sort of feel like that's something the church can offer at this moment. We don't fit in. Mm. We're not going to fit into any of these stories. If the world goes super left, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe there is some giant authoritarian left thing happening, you know what? God's still going to use us. Mm. He's using the church in North Korea. Uh, if the church, if the world becomes this weird fragmented competing things like it did in the dark ages, he still used your St. Patrick's and St. Aidan's and St. Columbus and, and St. Martin of Tours and these people. Whatever the future looks like, or if it's a right-wing authoritarian state, he's you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and these people. Mm. So like, I just feel like what, whatever the future is, or maybe it's just like we get to a, back to a sort of more normal business as usual 2018. He was still using people then. And, you know, I, I just think there's this sense where the dislocation that we're feeling, many are feeling at this moment, and there even, may even as these temptations to be seduced by other stories. And I just want to say this. I, I just have this sense that there's perhaps people listening and they're looking at leaders, looking at even friends, looking at parts of the church and just feel deeply disheartened by what they're seeing with compromises with left or right or both. Mm. Is that I think of David and I think we're preaching on David at the moment, so I think about it a lot. You know, Saul was this leader and he went and served Saul. Mm. Imagine coming to the king's presence and here's this man who we read of in early Saul's story, filled with the Holy Spirit in the company of the prophets. And then David being let down. And David being let down by his heroes. And often part of spiritual maturity is that sometimes your leaders let you, let, let you down and the people you look to, and at that moment, what you see happening in David is David then turns again to God. Yeah. And at this moment, leaders, denominations, organizations, nations, institutions, people, friends, maybe even congregational members that you know, they're going to let us down, but maybe you've let people down too. Mm. And maybe there's repentance for us. But in the midst of this, there's this invitation in this withdrawal moment where perhaps we feel like we're in withdrawal without even leaving or going anywhere. Yeah. We've been in withdrawal here in Melbourne for you know, 18 months and my, my hope is in the return, the return with God, mm. that we return to God. That's the way forward. Great. This is um, such a helpful way to, to kind of frame and understand what's going on. And I look forward to in, I guess, future episodes delving into some of those more specific things that you brought up, like um, libertarianism, relativism, um, there were a few other things. Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism. <laughs> yeah, Gingerbreadism. Oh, that's that's going to be a few episodes, I think, that one. Gingerbread-related crimes. <laughs> Uh, well, it's uh, been a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, just a reminder, if you do want more uh, uh, more of a deep dive into the resources that we referred to today, you can uh, subscribe to our mailing list by heading to realbuilders.co and join our mailing list there and we will be aiming to send out emails alongside episodes as we go along. So you've got a little bit more information there. And if you want to rate and review, you can head to Apple Podcasts as well.